What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, I mean, let's just get right down to it. We got to talk about him, Tommy. Jay Huff. What the heck is up with the discrepancy in wingspan reporting on the Lakers' newest seven-foot-one two-way signing out of Virginia? One website says he has a seven-foot-two wingspan. Another website says he has a seven-foot-five wingspan. Where, where do you come down on this wingspan gate with uh, Sir Jay Huff, Tommy? You know, I reviewed the film, and I'm going to put him at a 7.325 wingspan. Uh, that's my final answer, Jonathan. Oh, right down the middle. I like it. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be talking about Jay Huff. We're going to be talking about the Lakers' season opener against the Golden State Warriors, which they, of course, as is honored tradition, lost 114-121. to I think this is their fifth straight season opener loss. Last time we won a season opener, I I think Brandon Ingram was on the team. You shouldn't be surprised. We said it in the last podcast, the Lakers will lose. And if somehow they win, it'll be a historic day. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And yeah, it's it's a tradition unlike any other tale as old as time. A Lakers season opener loss. What's new? Look, we're going to, like like Tommy's Jay Huff wingspan right down the middle um, take, we are going to take it right down the middle because there were, in spite of the, you know, the, the expected bad outcome, this game did provide some fun litty moments uh, along with all the bad ones that led to the inevitability of this loss. So, Tommy, as we always do, let's start off general. Um and and we can do this really quickly. Just your take on the ebb and flow of this game, which I feel like was, yeah, it was a roller coaster. I mean, it's no surprise that the start of this game felt like a preseason game for, for both teams, actually. There's so many missed shots, and I was just like, okay, are these guys taking this seriously? Um, and, and then we kind of found a groove, and that's when we saw a little bit of showtime. You know, Carmelo got inserted to some, you know, raucous... Uh, crowd praise and we we got a run going uh ad was playing at the five i think when Melo was inserted and we kind of got to see some flashes of what this lakers team could be and then we really found our stride in the third quarter and then the fourth quarter hit we lost our lead pretty quickly and then from there we could never really gain control of the game so it was yeah i mean it was a back and forth sort of dr jekyll mr hyde game throughout um, but yeah, how did, how did you feel going into it? I think for me, this is, this is a tough loss because the Lakers should have won this game, even in spite of the lack of continuity, obviously AD and LeBron looked super, super dominant, but yeah, you take into account the weird lineups and maybe that was due to the injuries that we've had that Frank Vogel had to put out there. I mean, freaking Avery Bradley got time in the fourth quarter without Let's go. after not having played the entire game that was Frank Vogel's secret weapon Avery Bradley revenge game but outside of that you know the the turnovers didn't help 
the turnovers really didn't help. Uh, the, the free throw shooting didn't help, and somehow the Lakers also got out-rebounded in spite of the fact that they still played DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard in this game. Those are not recipe for successes. That, those are not recipes for success. Um, but yeah, for you, what's the overall general feel you get, get out of this game? I'm, I'm guessing you're not too torn up about it, but it is still annoying. Yeah, I literally have, like, no feeling about it. <laughs> no, it's, and it's funny because I think, like, and I can see why everyone's annoyed. I, I think, you know, I, we talked about this just before we started recording, and you, and you mentioned it too, but, you know, we've lost every home opener of the LeBron era. One of those was ring night last year, which I'm not even going to count because, except for the Bucks, who looked amazing last night, by the way, like most teams in all sports – lose on ring night. I don't know why. It's just like, I think the emotions are so high and it's hard to get like yourself ramped up or, you know, whatever for the game. But anyway, in the other three, it was like very, you know, similar outcomes, including last night. I mean, it was like the Clippers two years ago, we were playing a pretty tight game. It was a big marquee matchup and down the stretch, we couldn't execute. They had more continuity and they won, you know, Portland, we played a few years ago, I think LeBron's first year with the team. And, and it was similar. Like we were close, close. And and at the end of the game, we couldn't execute. They could execute better. We won. I know it's like so easy in hindsight to play Monday morning quarterback and be like, well, I said this was going to happen. But before the game, I was sitting down and I was talking to my wife and I told her the Lakers will lead during this game and they will lose this game. Um, And (laughs) that, you know, I I will say, actually, the only thing that surprised me about this game is we had a bigger lead in the third quarter, like towards the end of the third quarter than I frankly would have guessed. Um, But we gave up 68 points in the second half. Like the Warriors went from shooting, like I don't have the breakdown by, by half. All I can tell you is first half they were, barely 40% shooting from the field and they finished the game at nearly 45%. So, well, on, on top of that, they made their biggest run with Steph Curry on the bench. Exactly. Beginning of the fourth quarter, we had this lineup that frankly did not do much for us the whole game and they made their run. I mean, look, there were some things you can point to and, and, we lost this game for a few reasons. We actually, believe it or not, hit the same rate of, of threes as the Warriors. We yeah, actually we hit one more than them at the same percentage. Um, we shot better than them from the field. We can't be playing a two-center lineup for like two-thirds of the game and get out-rebounded. And we did, right? And and that is a problem that Frank Vogel teams with the Lakers. I can't speak to his Pacers teams, but certainly with the Lakers, it's a problem that they've had. I think a big part of it is there's so much rotation and, and so many different responsibilities the guys have on defense that people forget to box out because they're, they're, they're so focused on all these other things. You know, our assists were way lower than the Warriors, not nearly where they're, they're going to end up being on the season average. Uh, I think that's fairly clear. Um, we turned it over quite a bit, but so did they. It was first game of the season. <clears throat> and then the last point I'll flag is, again, if we're going to play a two-center lineup, we can't get killed in the paint, and they kill us in the paint. Um, and again, a lot of that is lack of execution, over fouling, and then like getting to a point where you couldn't really foul anymore. And then like, you know, like, and, 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 uh, bad rotations on defense. I mean, frankly, bad execution on both sides. Like if anything, like my big takeaway from this game is this team can score. I I think it's pretty impressive to bring a team that is this new. Um, we have two guys with THC out. We have two guys on this roster that were on the roster last year. Uh, we have whatever the entire 12 new guys on the, or 11 new guys on the team, you know, who are at least new in the sense that they weren't on the team last year. We have one of the players in the NBA that is known for being among superstars, the hardest to sort of build around and get to fit into your system in, in Westbrook. And we put up 114 points and shot 47% against a team that is trying to play defense. I mean, who knows? It's game one of the season. I don't know if the Warriors are going to be a good defensive team. They weren't amazing last year, although they closed the season strongly. But this team is not like Portland under their old coach, whose name I'm blanking on, or like, you know, the Terry, Sac- Stotts. Yeah, Terry Stotts, or like the Sacramento Kings, like not to throw those teams under the bus, but like, like golden state, like Steve Kerr actually wants to play defense. I don't know that they have the personnel necessarily, but he, they want to. And we looked very, very good on offense, you know, with the minor glitches that are going to come with a new season. I mean, 
look at the look at how the Nets look last year. <laughs> They're bringing back, by the way, most of their team, and it's game one of the season. So, but I, I feel like taking all that into context, I think we actually looked pretty good. Um, and yeah, we gave the game away, so it's frustrating. But I thought we look, we looked pretty good. I would say look at how the Nets looked last night. You you say yeah, that they exactly. have a lot of continuity, but not really. Like Kyrie Irving's not playing. Uh, Patty Mills was in there. They have Aldridge and Griffin. And I think the Lakers suffered the same sort of fate that the Nets did, even right. if, though that they have their big two of uh, Harden and Durant. And they have a little bit more continuity with us, but it's still they the do. sort of same sort of issue with... Even even though KD was there last year, I mean, how many games did he actually play, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets? Like, they were suffering from a lack of continuity the same way we were, as opposed to the Bucks, who they pretty much that they pretty much had that championship core play consistently throughout last season, and it obviously showed, while the Nets are still in work-in-progress mode like we are, not to mention they have to deal with the whole Kyrie drama of whether or not He's actually going to be part of the team, right? The Lakers, in a similar fashion, are just like, we've got so many guys in and out and not... I mean, Kendrick Nunn was a game-time decision. We just signed Avery Bradley. I'm sure Jay Huff was on Vogel's mind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But, you know, like, there's a lot going on there that we kind of had to patchwork quilt quilt, uh, make work uh, on the fly. And given those circumstances, I feel like LeBron James and Anthony Davis really took reins of the game. And all things considered, all those caveats put in there, we still should have won. And it's frustrating that we didn't. Um, Before we get to some highlights and the positive stuff and then turn this back around and talk about some of the things that were concerning to us, the the one last thing I wanted to talk about in general would be, um, and we'll touch upon this really, really quickly, but... You know, we'll get to Russell Westbrook in a bit. He looked super despondent after the game. Uh, I think Anthony Davis and LeBron James said he took this loss particularly hard, and he was giving, like, one-word answers after the game, almost looked catatonic. I just wanted to get your <laughs> just get, get your comments on this because we joked about this over uh, text, but it's one of the more frustrating parts about this season. Um, but Vogel, in defense of Westbrook, said it's going to take some time for him to work the kinks out. And Russell Westbrook historically has a slow ramp-up time. And if we all know this, if Vogel knows this, I wonder where we could have found more time for Russell right. Westbrook to work the kinks out. No, nah, don't get me and started. Look, I, don't get me started. Okay, okay. So I, I want to caveat that it may not be Frank Vogel's fault because maybe it was LeBron James' directive that he was going to sit most of preseason out. But that's LeBron James. We know that he can turn it up anytime, and he pretty much showed it, right? He could, he could play like two, three games in the preseason. I think he only played two and give you a performance like he did last night, a vintage performance. But Westbrook, who's new to this team, who you traded for, who you knew was going to be the hardest fit in terms of like, here's a superstar that we re- literally have to try and orbit around, even though we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on this team. If we really want to make this big three work, Everybody else is going to be have have everybody else around Westbrook is going to have to be flexible to him to extract the best version of him, right? Because when we traded for him, we all said this is a wonky fit. In order for it to be less of a wonky fit, we're going to have to integrate Westbrook correctly. And so the fact that we sat him the first two or three games of preseason, and now we're saying, look, everybody, it's going to take some time, is just sort of annoying. Um, And I think in retrospect, maybe they would have thought about this differently. Like I said, LeBron James can sit preseason. He's been with the team for like four years now. But for a guy like Westbrook, what excuse did we have to not play him the first two or three games? And then you get what we get where guys suddenly get injured in games like three and four of the preseason. And now we don't even have a fully healthy team. And that's what happens when you sort of play it too casually, even in preseason, where you lost your chance to see what this team can actually be when everybody was healthy. And now, no, like, it, it is sort of that revolving door of, okay, who's healthy, who's not? And you'll never sort of get that moment back, you know, when everybody was healthy and you could have at that point, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, okay, LeBron James wants to sit, fine, but we can at least work some kinks out. You know what I'm saying? So just your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, that was my, all of this is like my biggest complaint about how we approach the preseason, right? I think I mentioned to you, I probably mentioned on here, like 
you can't really take this time for granted. You never know who's going to be injured. You know, like to your point to Vogels, I mean, it's like, it's so bizarre to, to just, you know, sit there and, and acknowledge and admit and be all open about the fact that, yeah, we know that we know that uh, Russ is going to be really hard to integrate and he takes some time to ramp up and he does need time to, you know, needs time to get comfortable with his teammates and, and then on the other hand, like, I don't care what you say. Like, it was so obvious from the approach of the players and the body language and everything. They, you know, they weren't taking preseason seriously. And that's just in the games they played. You know what I mean? Like, they you didn't play Russ in half the games. And, you know, you only played him with LeBron in, in uh, uh, two or three games. You only played him with AD in two games because I'm pretty sure the big three only played together in two games. So, you know, it's... <sighs> Yeah, you can take the perspective of, well, it's an 82-game season. There's a lot of time to figure it out. And I do not disagree with that at all. I, there is plenty of time to figure this out. But it's also like a bunch of teams who are – you're, you're competing against a bunch of teams who are trying to win a championship this year. And home court advantage, there's fans back in these arenas. So that's going to be a factor in the playoffs, and it's going to be important. And it like – it just – it. I don't like the going back and forth between, you know, sort of saying like, we're taking this very seriously. We, we understand the steps we need to take, you know, we won a championship two years ago and blah, blah, blah. And then turning around on the other hand and like acting completely contrary to what we did two years ago, where we actually did take it seriously. You know, we played guys in the preseason. We, we didn't lose all six games. Yeah. We lost the home opener, but you know, we were locked in on, on defense right after that. And, and I look, they still have time, obviously to show us, maybe they are more locked in than they looked in the first, on the first night, but it, it it's frustrating uh, that, that we knew what we were getting into with Westbrook and, and it didn't seem like there was enough of an effort to figure out how is he going to like the big three lineup is one lineup to worry about because that lineup's going to play significant minutes just because all three of those guys are going to play significant minutes. But, like, what other lineups does Westbrook work with? It's like this yep. Rondo thing just came out of nowhere. Like, at the end of the preseason, like, oh, let's throw, slot him in. You know what I mean? So it's like, and maybe that's just filling for none. I don't know. We have weird injuries, so it's hard. But my point is, it's like we had time where guys were healthy and we could have done it, and we didn't. So now this is what we're left with. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully we've learned, and I think it's becoming more and more clear that championship season 2019-20 is more of the exception to the rule, unfortunately, right? And so in terms of like the drive and motivation and sense of urgency that they had on day one, and we're going to always talk about what a special season that was and how the chemistry was, you know, second to none, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of similarities with this group in terms of the personnel and their off-court chemistry and stuff, but... It's always tough with a team that, well, as with regards to the core, Frank Vogel, LeBron, AD, um, who have gone through the rigors of a championship season to continue to uh, wax that poetic about staying engaged and blah, 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 blah. But we, we now have that small sample size of, oh, shit, well, we lost our chance in preseason to try and experiment when the games didn't actually count. Hopefully this rejiggers them back uh, for the for the regular season, and, I, and I'm sure it will. But regardless, we're going to turn things back around. We'll take it to break. When we return, we will talk about the things that we liked, some highlight plays, and then we'll also talk about uh, some things we're concerned about. So we'll pitch it to our sponsors first, and then we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we're back, and let's talk about the litty things that we saw. Uh, Tommy, what are some positive highlight plays that you remember that got you out of your seat, or you just turned to Nicole and you're like, ah, Okay, I like it. I mean, the one that stands out the most is uh, I think DeAndre got a steal or something baseline. Like we cut off a baseline drive. It led to, a, I think, I believe it was DeAndre, one of our centers getting a steal under the rim outlet. And then it led to like a series of absurd passes. Like there was one outlet, like Bazemore was was Oh, the behind the back yeah, bounce yeah. pass. And then like LeBron caught it with one hand and threw it up over his head and AD, you know, caught it and dunked it. Like that was... I think very indicative of how this team wants to play. Um, Showtime. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty fun. Uh, other than that, I mean, we had some sequences, particularly in the second quarter where, and this is not a specific play, but just sequences where 
our defense was super locked in and engaged. Yeah. And you could see guys on the bench like standing up and recognizing what was happening and and getting kind of fired up. And so we need to string more of those together because we we looked terrific defensively at times last night. Yeah. Um, for me, some of the highlight plays that stood out was LeBron James' one-man fast break in the second half where they had it at a weird angle to TNT. Oh, God, because I hate it when they lo- do that, yeah. I, it looked to me like it was a replay of something, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, no, this is a brand-new play. LeBron's <laughs> coming in. Whoa! <laughs> um, but that was crazy because, uh, yeah, the angle switch up threw me for a loop, but LeBron James coming down in full force like a freight train for that one-legged takeoff into the one-handed hammer jam was insane. I mean, he made up like, you know, 50 feet of the court in like one second. And I mean, that's 36-year-old LeBron at this stage. And that was just exciting as any other play that you'd see, including the Baysmore behind the back bounce pass to LeBron, to AD, etc. Outside of that, the other plays that really sort of got me going because of the fast pace of it all was... um, I think pretty much both of Carmelo's threes came in transition. One where he was the trailer and he got, they pitched it back out to him at the top of the key. He nailed the three. The other one was he was, I think he was dribbling the ball down himself and he got right inside the three point arc and was sort of dribbling around the free throw area and he decided to just take it back out. Nobody was set actually. And he just decided to pop the three and he nailed it at the end of the first quarter, I believe, to put us up by six. But to me, and you know, Melo is not a good example of a guy who plays defense well on this team at all, but his ability to just ignite us on the fast break in a different way than anybody else can, meaning, you know, Westbrook's a freight train, LeBron's a freight train, Anthony Davis lobs, etc. But Carmelo being this safety valve from the perimeter and having the defense forcing the defense to have to to hone in on him even in transition I feel like just opens up an entirely new dynamic for this team that I think we shouldn't take for granted because what when's the last time we had such a lethal transition three-point shooter right I mean KCP did it a couple times but like Melo's like a different animal he like dribbles all around the court and will randomly pop back out and you're like oh shit we're up by nine and it's and it's fun to it's especially fun on this team because LeBron and really the big one though is Westbrook and once Westbrook like starts to feel comfortable with this team he is like you know very well known for hitting three-point shooters in transition one thing I will say on Mello though maybe we'll talk about this a little more but I almost, he's so efficient as a three-point shooter, especially catching and shooting in transition at this stage in his career. Like, you almost wish that's all he would do. Okay, if yeah, you have Jordan yeah. <laughs> Poole on you in the on the post, you have Seth, Steph Curry on you in the post, sure, let's take advantage of that egregious of a mismatch. But, like, we should not be running post-mellow ISO, you know, like in the second quarter. I, I don't know. I, anyway, but I agree yeah. with you. No, 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 I feel you. And I think I think with Melo, too, it's kind of uh, it's up to Vogel to look. I, I will say for Melo, he was in the lineups where we made our runs, like our where we had our biggest leads, too. I think on two separate occasions, he was in the lineup where we went up by 10 on two different times in the first half and the second half. So it's clear that he has a role on this team and he does add that offensive punch that you can't really get anywhere else. But it's up to Vogel to be like, at the same time, Melo also gives up the lead pretty quickly when he's, I mean, helps the team give up their lead pretty quickly when he's in the lineup. And so it's up to Vogel to sort of, I don't know, quit while you're ahead kind of with Melo. If he's getting hot, then it's like, okay, that's what we used him for, but maybe now rejigger it to the middle. And we can talk about lineups too, because there were a couple of lineups where I don't think it was entirely Melo's fault, but the spacing was jacked up, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll get to that because we're talking about right now the highlight plays. So I've, I really like Melo's transition threes and that added dynamic that he brings to the team because when we're flying up and down the court and we can hit you from any angle, that's when it can become this sort of momentum-building avalanche where it can demoralize the other team. But again, a lot of that, the reason why that happened in the first half and also parts of the second half was because of our defense, right? And so... um the other thing is, I mean, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I mean, they were incredible last night. And let's quickly talk about Anthony Davis because as well as he was playing on the offensive end, I didn't take much stock of it. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but 
he looked very much like bubble AD, right? But the reason why I don't take much stock in the, the offense is I know that jump shot of his can wane and come and go. Um, the other thing is his free throw shooting is just, I don't know, he's been hit with a free throw curse or whatever. Right. But regardless of whether or not he's able to hit as many jump shots as he did last night, which we've seen last season, it's not a given. Um, and the, the Warriors were packing the paint against him, which is why he was kind of forced to settle for those type of shots. And luckily last night he was hitting literally all of them and it looked like he had his soft touch back in the mid-range and he was hitting all of his quirky, like weird angled Anton Jameson floaters and whatnot, even when his body's contorted. So that was all great. But offense aside, this dude was a beast on defense, dude. Like he was everywhere. Yeah. He was defending the perimeter. His length was causing a lot of the Warriors guards havoc. He was helping out. He was helping Kent Bazemore out a lot, uh, containing Steph Curry. He had that block on that Curry drive in the second half. But I mean, I was just so impressed. And like, look, he fell a ton of times last night, which is never fun. But that's always like going to happen. Frustrating to watch. Those falls, notwithstanding, he looked really healthy in terms of how yeah. he was scrambling all about the court on defense. And so the offense, you know, cherry on top for me, and I'm, I hope he's able to channel more of that bubble AD type stuff where he's hitting his jump shots. Um, but it's the defensive end of the court where I was like, oh, shit, if Anthony Davis is going to play like this, like the defensive player of the year, then we have a shot. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. And, and that's why before the season, I was like, Look, I, I know there's like a lot of variables that go into this kind of prediction, but it would not shock me if AD was in the MVP conversation at the end of the year. I know he plays with LeBron James and that that hurts his chances a little bit, but he is so he seems to be physically in the best condition he's been on that I've ever seen, you know, in in his entire career. And obviously And he's stronger. I mean, he's just oh, legitimately yeah. he stronger. He just looks like it's it's weird, but he just looks like totally different in many ways. So, I I'm 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 like I'm pretty impressed with, you know, like you you talked about the defense. I actually think like the offense has some potential to stay like this. I mean, you know, I think he has some bit of him that wants to show like okay, this bubble AD thing wasn't a fluke, right? Because I think AD, it's he's kind of a weird player in the sense that historically he has performed very, very well in the playoffs. Like, it wasn't just the bubble was the first time he's ever had, like, that hot of a stretch. He's historically been a very, very good playoff player, Many and often better than he is in the regular season, which is somewhat rare for a star, right? So, anyway, I, I think he wants to show that he can sustain that over an entire season. Obviously, I don't think he's going to play 82 games, but if he could play 70 games and give us this kind of impact, we're going to be extremely, extremely difficult to beat. Um Another thing is, you know, he looked that impactful as a defensive player. And frankly, I think it's going to be even more uh, dramatic as as the season wears on. Because this lineup that the Warriors were playing last night, it made no sense to start DeAndre Jordan at the center. Like, and, and to play Dwight, you know. Yes. So, I mean, it's yep. like the reason we did that very clearly is... This is the lineup that the coaching staff has just decided is going to be our 82 game lineup. And so they don't want to get into this nitty gritty of like, well, like let's, let's, let's play the matchups every single night for 82 games. Like I understand the appeal of being like, okay, you know what? Let's just put our lineup that's going to be our lineup out there and allow this group to start to gain some continuity because. If you look at this lineup, AD played 39 minutes, LeBron played 37 minutes, Bazemore played 31 minutes, uh, Westbrook played 35 minutes. Like they now have substantial film of these guys playing heavy minutes and actually competing to go back and look at, right? And DeAndre playing with those units and Dwight playing with those units. If this was a seven game series against the Warriors, like Frank Vogel's not like brain dead. You know what I mean? He would, AD would be starting at the five. So I guess this is all a long winded way of saying like, I think AD in matchups against teams that are not the Warriors is going to look even more insane than he looked last night. And I think it's going to be pretty fun to watch this year. Well, yeah, because in other lineups or against other teams who are not the Warriors, 
Anthony Davis will be able to more readily use his agility and speed against slower-footed defenders, right? Like the Jokic's of the world. And right. um, against the Suns, you know, it probably makes more sense to have DJ out there on the start against Aiton. But regardless, I agree with you. LeBron James, on the other hand, I mean, he started out 6-for-6 six six from the field. He was hitting all of his Dirk fadeaway turnaround jump shots. He hit five threes. Uh, he looks spry as hell if that, you know, one, one-footed one takeoff dunk in transition uh, didn't tell you that enough. Um, yeah, he looked amazing last night. And um, the other guy I want to talk about was, okay, so I guess this is more a general um, positive, was just what did you think about the frenetic pace? And this kind of lends to yeah. everything we've sort of started talking about, including the mellow transition threes. But you kind of just saw flashes and visions of what this team can become if they can sustain their defense a little bit better. Um, and also, we, we just don't have our full arsenal of you know guys. Like We didn't have an, another ball handler in Kendrick Nunn out there who's yeah. pretty much Rondo but can also shoot threes at a higher rate. And then you know Westbrook... Also, he's still trying to work the kinks out, so he wasn't at his most aggressive self. And there were a couple of calls in transition that uh, where he drove it into the basket that he didn't get, et cetera, et cetera. But regardless, it's just like, okay, one or two things work a little better next time, and we get uh, one or more guys back. And you can really see how crazy this can become if we're firing on all cylinders. And there is the question of whether can we can uphold that type of pace for a full... Uh, 48 minutes because you sort of see the downside in playing this fast in the way that the Lakers give up leads so quickly. But in terms of like sort of hammering it down against the opponent with how with our athleticism and our offensive talent, it, it is kind of jarring and it is super showtime fun. So yeah, the pace. And so, look, it, the pace is, I think they're actually going to, tr- I don't know that it's going to be as, you know, you describe it as frenetic. And I think, you know, that's a fair way to characterize how we were playing last night. I think we are going to play somewhere in between what it was last night and what it was during our championship year. And keep in mind, our championship year, we led the league in fast break, or like we were second in the league in fast break points or something like that, right? So it, we want to play really fast. I think right now the emphasis is getting guys conditioning in order, getting guys mindsets mm-hmm. in order, because a lot of this is a mindset thing. We saw it last year when we dropped from, you know, being one of the top transition teams to being like bottom 10, right? Like so much of it is everybody has to be on the same page of the second make or miss your mindset is grab the ball and sprint. Um, that is going to lead to early season turnovers. That is going to lead to um, inefficiencies on offense. Uh, you know, we scored twenty. We outscored the Warriors twenty to ten in fast break points. I think that's a really good start. But I think you know a lot of this is going to equilibrate a little bit. I think ultimately, pace is less important, especially for a group that's this old. Um, Fast break points are really going to be how you judge this team. And I think, you know, that's similar to what we were two years ago. We were not one of the top five pace teams in the NBA, but we were like top three or top two in in fast break points. And so figuring out those moments of when you're supposed to run and when is it efficient to run and when to put your, you know, foot on the gas, that just comes with reps and the only way you get those reps is just by pushing it every time. So I think that's kind of where we are right now in terms of developing where where we'll ultimately get. But I mean, yeah, there there were a lot of weird things that happened in this game with the free throw shooting. Westbrook attempted zero free throws. Um, this guy has, and he that's not to say, I mean, yeah, he took some weird jumpers, but like he was in the paint a fair amount. Um, he's never averaged, I mean, since the second first or second year in the NBA, he's never averaged below six, six attempts per game. Um, so he, you know, is going to get some of those calls as the season progresses. We're going to start getting more of those calls as a team, you know, that that's points that's being added on. I mean, it's, it's like a turnover when you get fouled and miss two free throws. Right. So it's like, that's what we were doing a lot between eighties misses. LeBron had a bunch of misses. So, you know, that kind of stuff will make our, our uh, efficiency in, you know, look even better because a lot of those fouls were coming when we were creating opportunities off of pushing the ball, not necessarily transition, but creating mismatches uh, because we were playing at such a a high pace. 
Yeah. Lastly, I wanted to highlight Kent Bazemore because this dude, look, he only shot two for eight from three, but his job on Steph Curry helping hold him to five of 21, I know a lot of that was also in conjunction with Anthony Davis's, you know, con- helping contain Curry, but Bazemore played, hit, played Curry about as well as you could ask. And he kind of cut out all of the shacked in a fool JaVale McGee type Bazemore stuff that he typically does. He kind of kept it simple. Um, both of his shots, I mean, one of his three-point shots, he took off the dribble on the baseline, but it wasn't like a swaggy piece sort of shot. It was like a simple, you know, dribble pull-up. And then the other one was a open three-point shot on the baseline and then an open jumper on the baseline. But a lot of it, there, was, there wasn't a lot of like, uh-oh, here's Kent Bazemore roller coaster adventure that we're about to go on on offense, which is great. That's all you want from Bazemore. And then defensive end, I mean, the dude is just, I, and maybe it's a little bit more jarring on this team because he's the only other guy besides like Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now, who, he, he looked elite. Yeah, not only does he have the want, but he just has the skill, right? Um, and the you, length and all that. Yeah. And the length, yeah. I mean, you saw the want from Malik Monk, at least in the first half defensively, and I think Malik Monk even had like a nice block in transition. He got a steal. But you saw in the second half where he just doesn't have, at least right now, like the ability physically to yeah, defend these guys yeah. even if he wanted to. Like he's too small. He's not strong enough. But Cam Bazemore... It's like all there. Uh, and so I was super impressed by Bazemore. And it's like, dude, if we can get THT back and Ariza back, and at one point in this season, if those guys are actually healthy and Bazemore's there, like I can see the vision. I can see where they were going yeah, with this yeah, team. Yeah. Because, I mean, if, if Bazemore and AD alone can do that, so, shoot, so let's get yeah. THT and Ariza and stuff. Oh, 100%. So. I mean, look, there's going to be a lot of overanalyzing one game. And, and, a lot of people, just by the eye test, you look at this team, we didn't play well defensively, just by the eye test, okay? But Kent Bazemore, look at the main losses we had on defense from last year. We lost KCP, Caruso, and Kuz, okay? Now, kind of accepting that you're not going to really find a Caruso replacement because I think, he, you know, by most advanced metrics, he's literally like a top five point guard defender in the NBA, so you're probably not going to find a replacement for him. I mean, we... Bazemore, you can make a very strong case that he's actually a better defender than than KCP. I mean, KCP mm-hmm. is great. I'm not trying to th- throw that dude under the bus at all. But we're talking about Bazemore, a guy who has good size. He has crazy length. So he can, you know, no more of this, like, you know, you try to put KCP on Paul George and they just send Paul George into the post, right? So, and, and like, KCP is constantly getting posted up by bigger guys. Like, that doesn't really work against Bazemore. But on the same token, Bazemore is able to guard like small guards like Steph Curry and it's game one of the season. And this dude has clearly taken the challenge of, you know, most teams in the West have, frankly, most teams in the NBA have one guard who could just bomb it and like take crazy shots and is super quick and is, you know, focused on scoring. And that's the guy that we're going to put Kent Bazemore on every night. So he slots into that KCP role. You mentioned THT and Ariza. Those guys are definitely, theoretically, if THT took a leap, and, and with the reason you kind of know what you're getting, but not only fill the coups role, but you start to see like where minutes that we gave Rondo last night get soaked up, where minutes that we gave uh, Carmelo a little bit get soaked up, um, you know, in the and certainly Kendrick Nunn, like that dude is no Alex Caruso on defense, but he's certainly a better defender than Rajon Rondo at this stage in their career, yeah, right? Like yeah. I made mean, playoff Rondo, a different discussion, but certainly regular season Rondo when he's can't be fully engaged. I, I'm going with Kendrick Nunn. So it's unfortunate because these are not just, you know, kind of rotation or kind of, uh, you know, end of the bench pieces that we have that are, are, are out right now. THT, Ariza, Kendrick Nunn, were supposed to have significant roles on this team. Even Wayne Ellington, you know, Malik Monk looked like a high school kid out there. I'm just going to say, like, you know, once the games actually start and, you know, you can kind of see this dude has all the talent in the world. He's a sniper from three. I have no doubt he'll actually, as the season progresses, push his way, at least create noise to make himself some room in the, in the lineup, right? But for where these guys are right now, you almost think Wayne Ellington is probably going to have the the edge over him because Malik was just getting 
cooked out there and it's not okay in, in the first half though i thought he was really doing so he was actually trying I, I don't know if that says a lot but the second half that's when they made their run with him out there for sure yeah yeah no no no, no definitely do not disagree that he's trying um but he needs a lot of work and i think he will get that work on this team um and with the coaching and the emphasis on defense that we have working with phil handy working with the you know film guys and I think he will get there because physically he should be able to do it. He's small. He's athletic. Like he should be able to keep up with these smaller guards, but he, he just, should be Avery Bradley. Yeah, he should be. I mean, honestly, cause Avery Bradley is like, look, he's a fine defender, but he is a, one of these, like, don't let the activity fool you. You know what I mean? Type of guys like he, mm-hmm. he's very aggressive on the perimeter. And so that makes him look a little bit probably better than he is. And then there is some value into, you know, playing with that level of aggression, but Malik Monk, there is not a reason that he should not be able to stay in front of his guy as well as Avery Bradley with how athletic we've seen that that guy is. So, you know, that stuff will come. But my whole point of all of this is several guys that we have who would be filling in minutes right now for guys who are like net negative defenders. So a lot is going to change. Yeah. So I... And I guess this is kind of going all over the place, but we'll we'll start to end our episode here talking about some of our concerns and the negatives. But with regards to the defense, which we saw some flashes, but at the end, obviously it failed us in the most important times at the start of the fourth quarter. And that was due to having, you know, two or three negative defenders, plus also playing a DJ or a Dwight, where not only are you bad defensively, but on offense, if you have Westbrook out there along with another big, a non-spacing big, then you're, ca- you're also killing your spacing, right? So right. you're not getting it on any angle. You're not getting advantage on any angle. And I thought that was one of the biggest um, things that I feel like Vogel didn't toggle correctly last night. So in, the, so in the third quarter, the unit that got us our largest lead, 84-74, maybe a little bit surprising, but it was Rondo, Malik Monk, Bazemore, Mello, and AD. So obviously there are three bad defenders there, Rondo, Monk, and Mello. But I think the way that you're able to sort of overcome those bad defenders is you have AD at the five, right? And you have spacers all around. So maybe you have Rondo and AD, but for the most part, Mello being the four there helps. Um, The unit in the fourth that squandered it all away was Russ, Monk, Braun, Mello, and Dwight. And so that goes back to my point point of if Russ is out there and then you also have negative defenders in Monk and Mello, and then you have a non-spacing big and Dwight. You're sort of shooting yourself in the foot because you're not getting anything. You're not getting anything on defense for sure. But on offense, if Dwight is your center versus AD, and then Russell Westbrook, who pretty much is sort of a center, the way that people play him and play off of him from the perimeter, it's like you're not getting the advantage spacing wise either. So I feel like there were a lot of weird, wonky things and lineups that Vogel didn't deploy correctly. But again, you give him some, you cut him some slack just because of all of the changing, shifting things that have that, that have just happened in the last week for this team. Um, but yeah, I think the units are a work in progress. I'm sure that'll naturally shore itself up. But like you mentioned at the start of this show, we just can't play DJ and Dwight that many minutes. And at some point, I think we just need to boil it down to Dwight. Um, especially because again, because we're trying to work around Westbrook, until his shot gets in order, until he works that out, he pretty much is like another center on the floor. And so if you're playing Dwight or DJ out there, it really mucks up our spacing. And I know DeAndre Jordan was part of one of our big runs in the third quarter too. So I'm not even saying anything against DeAndre, but I think with Vogel, it's going to be a constant push and pull of when to quit while you're ahead with certain players, keep certain players engaged, and when to when to really play your best lineups, the most, the more intuitive ones that just scream, there's good spacing here. And that allows Westbrook some space or that allows Westbrook some lanes in the paint to do what he does best, which is drive the ball, you know, because the, the Warriors were packing it in the paint. They were playing zone against us and Westbrook was relegated to just pulling up from mid range and breaking a shot, you know? So, um, yeah, I think those naturally will work itself out. Like you mentioned the defense, it's just I almost want to ask you if we could go back in free agency in retrospect. Just seeing how Frank Vogel was able to deploy Avery Bradley in the final 6 minutes or so because he was so 
want for any sort of point of attack defender. I'm almost wondering, should we have just signed Wes Matthews, re-signed Wes Matthews instead of Wayne Ellington? Yeah, so I actually, so I was talking to somebody that nobody on this podcast knows, but you know, <laughs> uh, Victor, about, literally about this exact thing the other day. Um, and I raised this this exact same argument. I was like, it's, you know, especially, I mean, of course, it's easiest to say it in hindsight because we've had all these injuries. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think kind of my perspective is they clearly were more concerned about offense and they clearly were more concerned about making the Westbrook situation fit. And to do that, you need the shooters. I think they figured because of how good LeBron and AD, crazy LeBron at like 36 years old, but but like how good LeBron and AD are on defense. And even like Westbrook, when he's not getting backdoored, which they need to like call that fool out about this in in, <laughs> in a film room. Westbrook is not a, a, he's definitely not a terrible defender. He, at worst, he's average, you know? So when you have those three guys who you figure are going to be a significant part of your lineup, you can cover for a lot of mistakes. And especially when you're throwing Kent Bazemore out there, right? So... My thinking was, you know what? We've been trying to get a guy who is just a veteran sniper for so long. West was not that guy for us last year. Yes, he was a plus defender. But, you know, when you're looking at West versus Wayne, given the other depth that we have, I think you could make a strong argument for Wayne, right? And it's easy, right? The grass is always greener because, frankly, we had West last year. And we were like, God, I wish we just had Wayne. You know, so it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's always going to be the constant push and pull. But defensively, I think this team is going to look so much better. What, I mean, our, two of our top, def, you know, five defensive pieces in THT and Ariza are currently, are going to be out for two months. Um and Kendrick Nunn, who, again, is not like an amazing, not known for being an amazing defender, but he's average, which is miles ahead of where Rajon Rondo is in, at this point in his career, right? So these types of things are going to help stem the tide. And I'm not, on the whole season, I'm actually not concerned. I don't know that we'll finish top five um, as a defensive team, but I think if you look at second half of the number statistics, we'll be a top five defense, um, at least for, for that point, once we get THT and Ariza back. Yeah, and I hear you on the Wayne Ellington thing. That all makes sense. That's their motivations of signing him over a guy like Wes. But I'm looking at Wes Matthews' split stats from last season, and his last eight games in May, he shot 41% from three. He started the season out shooting 43%. Granted, that was just five games in December. But it's almost like it's not like he's a total you know, negative in terms of shooting. Um, and who knows if we haven't seen Wayne Ellington in a Lakers jersey in a while. So he may shoot the same crap percentage. And if you're looking at that, it's like, just get the defender who can also play up a little bit and defend well, wings. Yeah. You know what I'm I saying? Mean, look, so look, if it ends up that we, that you know Wayne shoots 34% or something, then it then they lost on that bet. But I think they were just betting that, look, look yeah, Wes had his stretches, but over the course of the season, he shot 33.5%. So I think they were just like, you know, we got to prioritize someone who we think can hopefully hit better than that. And, and understanding that neither of these guys would appear in every game. So my question to you is, and this is kind of uh, maybe speculating too much, but we have Avery Bradley signed on a non-guaranteed deal. Mm -hmm. Presumably, we were like, if there's a guy who gets cut, it's Avery Bradley because he's partially guaranteed. And if there's a better guy in the buyout market, easy swap. Is it possible that we just cut Wayne Ellington instead of Avery Bradley? No, so I actually think that's very possible. I think the final roster spot, um, and when I say final, I mean 14, because I ultimately think uh, 15 is going to stay open. Um, I know it's currently filled by Avery Bradley. But what what I'm getting at is I view the non-buyout market final roster spot to be between Wayne and Avery Bradley. I think there is a world... You know, they're already paying tax on both, right? So, yeah, okay, you pay more tax if you cut Wayne because his contract's guaranteed. But when you're competing for a championship, I mean, look, they can talk about we're trying to save money this, we're trying to save money that. We're not even, like, a top three luxury tax-paying team. Like, I think when it comes down to deciding whether, you know, this team has a legitimate shot and it comes down to a Wayne versus Avery Bradley, you know, tax decision, they'll, they'll pay the money. So... Yeah, I agree with you. That is going to be the interesting thing because, you know, you have guys who are going to be able to score for you in the playoffs theoretically, but 
do you lean on a on a defensive player if you think your offense is in order? Particularly if if Bradley comes and he's going to get his opportunity because we have so many injuries. So if Bradley and Wayne's going to get his opportunity too. So if the, we're going to get a very direct comparison on who we think is more valuable mm-hmm. for this team. If Wayne comes in and he's sniping threes and hitting forty percent, I think he's got the even thirty eight. You know, high thirties like. He has the advantage in, in that respect. If Avery comes in and hits a good clip like he did when he was on the team two years ago and plays solid defense, I think he has a chance of making the team over Wayne for sure. Yeah, that'll be an interesting battle that none of us had marked to, to analyze, obviously, at the beginning of this season because Avery Bradley was literally just signed this past week right before the game, literally five minutes. They, they signed him, suited him up, and then he, he got thrown out there in the fourth, hit two threes, played pretty good defense on Curry, and that's what you get. All right, with that said, this podcast ended up being a lot more positive than I thought, but I think that's our general sentiment because we always lose game one and there was enough positive things to uh, glean from. And hold on to that, you know, we'll probably, we might lose against the Suns. We probably will. But you know what? I'll take a better Russell Westbrook game where he's not as down on himself and he's able to, you know, get out into transition more, get some free throws, hit a three-pointer or two. And all of a sudden, we're looking a lot better. So with that said, thank you guys for listening. We will catch you guys hopefully next week at some point after a win. Um, And yeah, it's overreaction theater all around Lakers Nation. You know how it is. Um, There's a lot of things to be frustrated and annoyed about. A lot of lineups and stuff to dissect. Everybody hates DJ right now, (laughs) which I I don't even think he was that bad. Um, But, you know, it's all about, I mean, this is a work in progress for Frank as well. And we know how frustrating Frank, even on his best nights, can be. We just got to live with it and hope that he adapts really quickly and jigsaws things correctly. Um, but the most important takeaway that I have here is LeBron James and Anthony Davis look healthy. LeBron so, James. LeBron James. So with that said, thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And we will catch you guys next time where we talk about Jay Huff. All right, Tommy, I'll catch you later. Peace. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.